athletic range. Today we're talking about tension. Okay, so it's really important to understand this concept of tension. It kind of puts to bed, it puts to rest the idea of um, static stretching being different to loaded stretching. It also challenges the idea of strength training itself versus human activity. Uh, everything is in fact tension training, strength training, and any position where the muscle is lengthened could be considered uh, tension training, it can be considered stretching. The really arbitrary differentiations between uh, short and long duration uh, stretches and how the load is created. Okay, so this understanding will help you again to be able to program more effectively and just understand what we're doing with strength training. I believe we have been in the dark ages of strength training and we need to fall in line with human engineering and natural law to get better results okay so why is tension important we should be looking at the tension of the exercise as well as the muscle contribution the muscle uh, position in producing force and can we quantify the tension that is being created to have extremely high tension exercises and extremely low tension exercises and know when and how to apply those different movements Okay, so we know that if we strike this sword, then there's going to be an extreme amount of force, you know, exerted into the metal. If we drop the light bulb from the height of the shoulder, then we would expect it to break, where if it's dropped from one millimeter, we wouldn't expect it to break. So this is how we should also look at what our strength training is doing and consider the role of speed as being a key factor. Um, and probably more important than load um, when we're considering the adaptations of connective tissue. All right, so you have to lower a piano slowly because the load has a lot of potential if it's dropped from a height. If you hit a rock, then it's going to break, whereas if you squeeze a rock, nothing is going to happen to it. All right, so using impact and, and, and high force is going to create much bigger tissue adaptations, connective tissue adaptations, right? So humans are naturally connective tissue dominant. Our tendons and ligaments are stronger than our muscles and our strength training should, it should continue to develop that quality. We don't want to undo that quality by training muscular dominance. We're wired to preserve our structural integrity. So the tendons and ligaments will always be a limitation on the amount of force that we're, our body will, will deal with and will be naturally down-regulating force production or reception based on the tension that our tendons and ligaments are happy to deal with, right? So quality of tension matters most. Connective tissues like muscles are highly trainable and adaptable, right? So we need to be thinking about the adaptations that are going to be, be caused uh, in the connective tissue as well as in the muscles. We've had a massively muscle-centric model of strength, and that's just not how the body is designed. It's not how it works. So we have to look at the qualities of the tension, and that's going to determine the adaptations that we're going to get. So strength training must build connective tissue dominance to be in harmony with natural law. And uh, human engineering, animal engineering, you know, you can show you can easily see that connective tissues are stronger and they have to be dominant to the muscles okay so progressive tension engineering this is why 
the ATG system is getting results that other systems can't get because we're able to strength train without creating a lot of tension and then we're able to strength train with a lot of tension, right? So moving along that continuum is is really the the special source, the secret of the ATG system where it breaks away from conventional strength training by progressing range of motion, starting with concentric dominant movements, moving into uh, higher tension, shorter movements, longer range, longer range, and then that actually prepares us to be able to run and jump, oftentimes just by regaining circulation and strength in parts one and two people already notice that they can return to explosive exercises um, based on those those changes and uh, low intensity tensioning exercises whether you call it stretching uh, or whether you call it strength training it doesn't really matter what you're calling it but if the tissues are under tension in those end positions then we cause adaptations that can also help to regain this ability to move. Okay, so quality of tension matters. Connective tissue tension versus muscular tension. Connective tissue tension is going to be really high in this, and this guy is going to bench press. So his muscular tension is going to be really high. This is not going to cause a lot of muscle hypertrophy. This is going to cause more muscle hypertrophy. Therefore, muscular tension is going to create muscle size. Connective tissue tension is going to create connective tissue dominance. So the more an exercise is like this guy slowly, slowly, slowly lowering a weight, not going through full range of motion, the more it's going to be developing the muscles and creating potential uh, weakness around the connective tissues. Okay, so quality of tension. Rather than, you know, there's a bit of, you know, people talk about time under tension. Time under tension is really a, not a very valuable term in the absence of okay yeah what weight is being used what tempo is being used okay yeah if given a certain tempo and given a certain load then yeah cool if the speed's the same but we really need to be looking at the training effect of the tension okay so the volume of tension is the time times by the quality of tension right so i'm going to give you an example here Someone doing back somersaults, if you've learned to do a back somersault, you might realize that even with extremely low time under tension, the quality of the tension is very high because you're getting to an outer range or a lengthened range in the muscle that you might not have had a lot of time in before and producing a lot of force in that position. And therefore, very low time can create an, ex an extreme uh, volume of tension and therefore training stimulus. Another example might be a dunker. Someone who's great at dunking will uh, jump off that one foot. They'll have a very low time under tension, but there'll be extreme uh, high quality of tension and therefore there'll be a big training effect. So you'll hear Ben speaking about um, quality dunkers um, having extremely strong calves. Uh, there's no way around that. You know, they have to have that. And so... Strength training, we need to look at, okay, well, is this developing the muscle? Is this developing the connective tissue? And then what else is the person doing that's going to develop those tissues? So the strength, the quality of, of the tension comes down to load, speed, connective tissue length. Okay, so we, we want to consider load. We are going to consider load, but speed is actually 
more of a driver in how much tension is there, right? If we push this hammer against the against the sword, if the sword is the tendon and the, the hammer is the movement, if we push it against this, if we, you know, there's going to be no impact on the metal. There's going to be no uh, change in the metal. Whereas when speed is very high, then that's going to have an impact. If the connective tissue is already under tension, then that's going to have a massive impact. If we consider the back somersault example, it's the fact of the, the body being in sort of a back bridge position when the knees are brought to the chest, extremely explosive movement of the abs, total time under tension very low, muscle growth, muscle soreness, adaptation is, is going to be high. Um, and we may find that the adaptations are more towards connective tissue rather than uh, muscles being laid down, but there'll always be a contribution of, of both of those, um, and it's probably those connective tissue adaptations. If the muscle change in response to that soreness is more connective tissue dominant, then that, I think, will turn out to be what we really want, and that might be the discussion around fascicle length and those sorts of things. Okay, so quality tension, speed is the is the is the big one, right? The speed that we're receiving force with is going to be the the biggest impact on the quality of the tension. So then we want to look at in terms of quality tension we want to look at length okay so the ability to get you'll see Ben's getting faster and faster at going into this um, kot squat position the sissy squat being able to get into that position faster and faster shows the increasing strength and increasing tissue tolerance so it's one thing to be able to do a very slow rdl with 100 kilos it's another thing to be able to do a very fast rdl with 100 kilos right so it's the length and the speed together which shows how healthy it is. So often when people are doing their first KOT squat, they'll be going very, very slowly down into that position because one, they don't have the skill, but two, often they're getting feedback from the connective tissue. If you've tried the um, Smith curls, I've done the Smith curls, lying uh, bicep curls, there's different variations, the snatch curl, you'll find that generally people will initially go very, very slowly with those movements and because there's so much tension in the system, they're getting some pain feedback. It's not really pain, it's just tension because it's bilateral, it's not localized, there's no swelling or soreness that comes from it after unless it's done for really high reps. Um, and so you're going to go very slowly with those movements to start with. Once you can go fast in those movements, then the tissues will be much higher quality. They will have adapted. All right, so the quality of the tension is what matters most. And Charles Poliquin spoke about this. This is part of the reason why uh, weightlifters look, can, can look like this, okay, if you have low body fat as a weightlifter, despite mostly working in the one to five rep range. Now, you might find, yeah, occasionally, you know, they may be doing some higher rep stuff, but there are definitely weightlifters who've stayed in the one to five rep range and built a lot of muscle, massive legs, et cetera. All right, so the reason why is because tension is the key thing and they're receiving massive loads at speed and therefore creating huge amounts of tension. Um, so you'll see the difference in the Olympic lifter squat versus the power lifter squat. So their tissues are much more tolerant to force, to tension, uh, than power lifter in general, even if the total weight is, is less. Um, okay, so 
Charles said, for the advanced lifter, doing more than five reps is a waste of time as average intensity will be too low. And I've added in tension, neural drive, right? So against the heavy weight, you can produce a lot of neural drive and the weight won't go too fast, so you still have some time. Um, and you need the, the load to increase to drive the tension. But Charles is speaking about for a given tempo, all right? So if we consider... Uh, load adapted tissue would not remodel or be damaged by low intensity, low tension strength training, right? So they, there comes a time where someone's been strength training for a while, they can do sets of 50, but there's just not enough total tension being created to, to cause adaptation. I think this is also why you'll see a lot of experienced bodybuilders not using eccentric tempo is because they need that tension right? So they're letting the weight go down faster because they're getting a higher intensity eccentric um, contraction. They're getting more tension by going faster. Um, they may not be developing the full uh, part of the strength curve. So rather than their solution, rather than going for low reps, the solution for most competitive bodybuilders is to have more speed on the way down and do higher reps. So in the end, they end up getting the tension that they need to cause adaptation and the, and the damage uh, that they need and this is the same with you know uh, forced reps and and that sort of thing as well um, okay so metabolic stress is not enough to drive maximal hypertrophy uh, and this is pretty clear in the research so the metabolic stress component this is also the case for clustered repetitions for dense strength for not going to failure we're going to talk a lot about more about that and then neural drive and the neural battery. Now, there is an exception here, okay? So if we're going to say, okay, what's going on here with five reps? Why do people end up looking like this? Does he train in the one to five rep range? Well, no, right? Is there a lot of metabolic stress there? Yes, but is there also a lot of uh, speed is there a lot of uh, tension in these exercises? I think that you'll find that that is one one of the reasons why there's a lot of injuries uh, in CrossFit. And two, why you get maximal hypertrophy. You know, you can question some of the top athletes about you know whether they're natural or not. It doesn't really matter. What is true is that the everyday person going to their local CrossFit box is probably not using uh, performance enhancing drugs. And oftentimes they will get to a significant level of natural natural hypertrophy while not using much one to five rep range training. Uh, they may use a little bit of it, but you'll find the majority of CrossFitters do the majority of their training not in the one to five rep range, and you do find maximal hypertrophy. I think that is because we're getting this, especially the speed component, okay, so there's super high tension exercises despite not having the load intensity so you can see this is like a different way of looking at strength training where we used to look at you know is it over 90 percent is that going to cause the strength adaptations well what about using a 60 percent load and considering the connective tissue um, adaptation the pull on the muscle the damage that's being done like in a back somersault you know like in, in your kipping pull-ups etc extremely high tension there's lower um, total time on attention but they're extremely high tension and then doing lots of repetitions. All right, so you'll see this with uh, soccer players, calf development. They tend to have good calf development. Uh, 
relative to the amount of strength training that players will do, they'll have big calves because the calves are not necessarily doing a lot of long, slow contractions, but they have the high force uh, contractions. Okay, so arm wrestlers will be the on the other end of the spectrum or, you know, for the upper body mechanics as well, um, blacksmiths. Okay, so it's the total volume and quality of tension that matters most. So the tension can either be driven internally by how hard the muscles are contracting. Neural drive is developed uh, by focusing on each repetition and by the total volume of repetitions, right? So we're going to look more at neural drive and how important this is. This is the muscle, and muscle is important, but we need to understand that an, an athlete must remain connective tissue dominant to be healthy. A human, you know, following human engineering, our natural design is to be connective tissue dominant for the connective tissues to be stronger than the muscles. And modern strength training has shifted that balance, and that's one of the biggest reasons why strength training isn't creating the positive adaptations and the positive improvement in human ability that it could, would, should be if we understood this concept. Okay, so yes, we want to increase internally driven tension, muscle uh, tension. That's what strength training does. Strength training will turn a terrible athlete into a great athlete, um, in terms of the amount of force that they can produce. But it's a double-edged sword where if ten, if connective tissue adaptation is not outpacing muscle t- adaptation, if ligaments and tendons aren't stronger than muscles, then we're going to have uh, injury. Okay, We're going to have positions that we're not strong in and that we're going to get damage done by that. Okay, So how much muscles, muscle signal, how much signal can you send to a muscle is really the key thing here. Right? So as we get stronger we get better at sending signal to the muscle and then the muscle itself is able to do more as it grows all right so focus on each repetition and then the total number of repetitions that's what's going to increase neural drive same as learning right these are principles of learning if you're able to really concentrate when you're playing the piano then you're going to learn faster than if you're just getting a lot of repetitions done but repetition is also required doesn't matter how well you concentrate it's going to take a certain number of repetitions before you're great at playing the guitar. All right, so externally driven tension is going to be more connective tissue uh, dominant. Okay, so if we let gravity play a bigger role, uh, then the the amount of tension is going to be determined by the size of the load, the height and acceleration, and the tissue length. Okay, so these drop catch RDLs that you saw uh, ben doing last year, if you're a hardcore uh, ATG fan, you know what I'm talking about. Depth jumps, parkour, all these sorts of things. Um, whenever we drop and catch the weight, you'll see now uh, the way guys are going at their Nordic curls, you'll see that there's more of a drop catch action happening. Ben's able to get to the bottom position faster, stop and come back up. So that creates a lot more tension, which will create more you know, fresh adaptation, uh, adaptive stimulus. All right. So Powerlifting, connective tissue tension for powerlifting. The weight rests on the bones, the muscle, and the fascia, ligaments, cartilage, etc. So the amount of load that the bones and the fascia and the tendons and ligaments and the cartilage can handle also impact the lift 
together with the muscles. So it's all one system. The type of training that we do will bias towards whether it's more bone tissue, more muscles, or more fascia, ligament, tendon that's going to be laid down. Bone and well, no, bone is going to be more of that compressive load. So you can actually train for bone density by supporting super heavy loads in a way that doesn't cause much muscle or fascia, tendon, ligament, cartilage adaptation. Um, but yeah, it's all one system. So the shorter the tissue is, the better. And that's basically what the bench suit shows us is it's like putting more fascia and making that fascia really, really tight, right? So it's yet to be seen. You know, we can see Steffi Cohen as the most successful female powerlifter. She's able to do sissy squats. So she is demonstrating connective tissue length and the ability to deal with forces in those positions. And she's still crazy, crazy strong. I'm interested to see whether that can happen with powerlifters, whether we can see, you know, human range in the shoulders, knees and hips, as well as those massive numbers. I don't think it will happen, but it would be really interesting to see. I think that there is a role to play of this suit. Obviously, we know the suits work. So guys are basically wearing their suits. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. At some point, though, there's a pain feedback mechanism that's going to decrease strength and muscle activation and all those sorts of things. So maybe Steffi Cohen has the secret to keeping her connective tissues healthy and staying pain-free to be able to tolerate more volume, which gives her the advantage despite not wearing as much of a squat suit potentially in terms of uh, tension in the system. Interesting questions to ponder. But, yeah, as we get towards the end here, human engineering is based on connective tissue dominance and it's based on the ability to produce speed and power. Why then do we do strength training? We do strength training so that we have more of that winch muscular mechanism so that we're able to create more acceleration. The concentric component of the movement is, is acceleration. This guy, to do these massive long jumps, he wants strength and force output in his quads. Now he's you know bouncing into it, but if he had to go from a standing position, bigger quads are going to help for that, okay? So the more strength component there is in a sport, the more we need to have size, and size does have its part to play. Even if you look at Stefan Holm, you know, potentially the highest jumper in history uh, compared to his height, big, you know, he has relatively big calves, um, especially, and, and decent-sized quads. So all the protein has gone down there, limited protein in the upper body so that he doesn't have to lift as much up to throw it over the bar but you still find that the tissues, those key force-producing tissues and force-receiving tissues are hypertrophied by the load, all right? So when, we, when we're choosing our exercises, we need to consider the tissue adaptations that are going to come with it, all right? So length and speed progression need to be considered along with mass progression, and this is really the secret source of ATG and what... Um, Ben has done, Ben Patrick has, has brought to the world, is progressing length and not just focusing on mass progression. And that is the, you know, the huge thing, the biggest thing for connective tissue dominance and to, to cause connective tissue adaptation. All right, so here is the sequence. And this is what, when I saw this, I thought, yes, this guy has actually solved this. He's taken it a step further than Charles. I think Charles understood this with growing massive biceps that you needed to do 
spider curls, standing curls, and uh, 45 degree curls for him. Ben took the range further and he took it to the lower body, which is what the world needed to see, uh, especially for the, for the knee. And now we're doing it also for the hamstring. We're doing it also for the for the quads, for the tibialis. Every muscle needs to be developed from this perspective, especially if there's an injury. Yes, you, you can avoid, you can ignore the human engineering and you can just say, I'm just going to strength train and I'm going to run and everything's going to be okay. But when it's not okay, you need the best. And the best is this. This is the new technology, the best way of understanding uh, how tension can be used to create much more resilient humans, right? So the sleds are concentric only partial range movements. And then we progress to extremely high connective tissue tension, which will often create pain where the connective tissue inserts to the bone for people who aren't adapted to it or if you do too much of it. And so obviously, as we're doing more of that and there's no pain anymore, then the tissues are able to go into those positions. The tissues have more ability to deal with force. You'll find that kids are able to handle these forces uh, much better than adults. Okay, so we need uh, this cascade of adaptation that we're getting from one to four, which we're seeing that it's increasing the ability for people to land and jump and receive high explosive tension uh, forces, okay? So able to deal with those strikes, which are the highest impact. So we're going from short to long. Short, concentric only, short with the eccentric, mid, long, and then eventually being able to deal with, at some stage in that equation, you're going to be able to deal with the the, the, the faster loaded movements. Now we also want to train that explosive loading, um, faster stuff as well, uh, once or twice a week, the super high tension exercises, but really it's all part of the same system. And if you deal with the super high tension positions, uh, like landing, for example, landing in the KOT position is going to be much more aggressive than landing uh, in a quarter squat, right? Because there's already that connective tissue tension. Now, you can see that Ben is actually progressing towards that. He's able to land more and more in that KOT squat type position or get to that position faster, which is basically progressing towards being able to do like a depth jump in that position. Uh, yes, and you'll see that with like Georgian dancers and those sorts of people as well, like their ability to be extremely explosive in those lengthened positions shows very well adapted connective tissues. Um, parkour as well right so then if we take this to the hamstrings we would go from like a lying or a, a standing hamstring curl concentric only hamstring curl it's basically well accomplished with the band because you can just let go and you don't have to slow it slow it down and um, so that would be like our concentric only hamstring inner range exercise would be like banded uh, lying hamstring curl which Ben has demonstrated recently, and we were, we were talking about the need to add this into the system. Um, the standing hamstring curl then with the uh, monkey foot is another alternative or with the machine, uh, or you can just bias the inner range um, in your lying hamstring curl, uh, etc., cetera, um, using a lightweight or using partial range of motion. The Nordic curl then, you'll see that most of the force uh, 
there's the initial whack of force in the bottom, which does bring into play that that question of like that's the highest force stuff is when there's like that impact force to get out of the bottom. And that's why a lot of people have had tendon issues with going too hard on the Nordics because they're going strong eccentric into a somewhat lengthened position and then hitting out of the bottom. So in, in the longest position of the Nordic producing uh, an impact type force, and that's what causes um, tissues that aren't prepared to, to be you know, strained. Um, but you'll see that generally the sticking point in the Nordic you'll see is the hips are already, you know, there's 30 degrees or 45 degrees of tension, uh, you know, of uh, knee bend. Um, then the RDL, you know, you're getting more and more tension as you go lower. Cedar Good Morning can fit in there as well. It's a bit of a different position and depends on the tightness of the individual. Um, getting towards the slant board RDL, the slant board Jefferson, Again, depends on where you're tight exactly with the Jefferson, whether the hamstrings are really getting hit by that or whether um, it's more so in the lower back. But as we progress outwards with these, we are going to be more tolerant to forces in sprinting in exactly the same way as people become more tolerant to jumping and landing with this development on the quads. The same thing is going to be there for top speed uh, with the hamstrings it's the same mechanisms and it works in the same way and we should rehabilitate in the same direction okay um, so because sprinting is so high force you will find elite sprinters will generally be able to do nordics and high you know super high tension rdls without having trained those movements because it's just force it's just tension right people say oh, i don't strength train it doesn't it doesn't matter it's tension what tension has been in the system if you don't need more um, muscle output if you don't need more of that you know winch type strength then the ratcheting strength then you don't necessarily need a lot more muscle training but pretty much everyone wants more of that right so then if we look at knee range going from the resting squat position. So the position that um, from yeah from a deep squat, okay, then we can put more tension into the system by going into this kneeling squat. It's also going to bring in the tibialis anterior, but you can see there's going to be even more tension on the quads in the kneeling squat position that Ben is in here. And then human knee extension, you can see I'm almost into that position. And you can, you know, a lot of people are playing around with human knee extension at the moment. You can really see what's going on with the hips versus, you know, lower back. You can see where the curves are, where the tension is. We can progress the tension from even higher tension than the human knee extension to being like a single leg bottom position of the knee extension. And then if we create bounces there, then that's going to be higher tension again. And that's going to create more tissue adaptation and help us to be able to deal with more force. Um, in those outer range positions okay so spending time uh, and increasing tension in those end positions is what's going to create the, the adaptation that we want all right so yeah you will success leaves clues right dunkers calves doesn't matter whether they strength train or not they're used to dealing with extreme tension and therefore they're able to do the time when they need strength training is 
when there's an issue there, when there's an injury there, we need to be able to regress back. And that's exactly what I'm showing you with these. We can regress back to a movement that can be done and progress it up to being able to return to these extremely high tension movements. Sprinters, hamstrings. This is a video you can see on my Instagram, Trey Williams, um, doing basically the cheetah reps. He did lots of them. Um, he's run 10-10. He's a short guy, so he's got the short levers. But he's also extremely fast. Um, so massive amounts of force, probably the most force-dominant sprinter. Uh, I don't, he may well be the fastest person in the world for his height, uh, running 10-10. I think he's 5-6. So very force-dominant. They call him Quadzilla. He's got huge quads. But I would say... Uh, because sprinting causes so much tension, they're generally not going to need much training before they're actually able to to do um, this this sort of movement. Gymnasts with their abdominals, same sort of thing from all the somersaults, um, backflips, etc. All the positions that they're using, they're going to have extremely strong abdominals without necessarily weight training them. And you might say, well, oh, like an LCD is weight training. Well, is it or is it just movement the same as the other stuff? It's just movement. So breaking down that differentiation between strength and tension, uh, I think, is is valuable. If there's tension there, then there's going to be adaptation. We just need to quantify and analyze the tension and we'll understand what is coming next on the other side of that. Okay, so tension-dominant training upgrades the muscles, right? So these positions that you see, Ben, in here, you will get muscular adaptations from, you know, the, the heavy slant board, Jefferson, from the uh, QL, you know, that's massive range on the QL there. You are going to get muscle upgrades together with the connective tissue upgrades where in the muscle-dominant training, it doesn't necessarily produce much of a connective tissue upgrade. So if we only train the inner range of the QL and of the obliques, then we won't get that same connective tissue upgrade. If, we, if we're doing the hamstring curls and we're only training the inner range, then we will get muscle adaptations, but we won't get the accompanying connective tissue adaptations. And therefore we're creating more fragile athletes. And that is basically the formula of modern day strength training. We are creating more fragile athletes because we're not considering the con contribution of connective tissue. Um, so tension drives adaptation. We need to be looking at, okay, what is the tension of this exercise? Um, and we need to look at whether muscular or connective tissue uh, dominance is there within the movement. Okay, so if the connective tissue is not under tension, um, resting tension, if we're not lengthening that tissue, then it's going to be a muscular dominant movement, which is fine. They have their place. We need to do them as we've shown uh, in the other lectures. Ultimately, by understanding tension and focusing on tension rather than focusing on load uh, we are going to create much more resilient athletes and we're going to be able to progress them uh, through from wherever they are to wherever they want to be in a more logical um, systematic uh, sequence this is in harmony with human engineering it's in harmony with the natural way uh, ways of the body you'll see these patterns show up in animals and in children and uh, i think that yeah as we apply these we're just going to get better results as coaches which is ultimately uh, what it's all about thank you for listening today and i'd love to hear your feedback